Hello, and welcome to the SBS Cycling Central podcast. Yes, we're back. We're back. How I missed that opening theme. I'm Philip Gomes, and with me are Anthony Tan and Jamie Finch Benninger. So, Anthony Tan, what have you been up to? It's been a long time. Geez, a lot has happened since uh, we last potted. I think it was the tour or something like that. And now we're in another Grand Tour. Little race in Spain. Yeah, what I've been up to, um, sort of trying to build a house and uh, in between, you know, write a few blogs. So, yeah, just the the usual stuff. Building a house in Sydney, that usually requires... Money. A billion dollars. Yeah, that's... It's sort of blogging doesn't really... (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't really say the blogging doesn't get you the house. Blogging just provides you with... um, you know, like your regular supermarket trolley basket worth of goods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, you're not building a house, but you're you're trying to build a media empire. Um, what's been up with you? Uh, well, yes, I suppose you could call my, my other podcast, which I run, the Breakdown Podcast, you could call that a media empire if you wish. Um, I'm, I've been doing a few episodes more recently with Pat Shaw, who's now the NRS National Road Series um, series leader. So that's good for that's good for press and keeps you know the hundred or so people who who listen to that one coming <laughs> in regularly. So that's been fun. Also, been going to a few races. Uh, went to the Tour of King Valley. That was that was a good experience. I don't know if you guys have ever been down to it, but they've got that um, dirt stage which also goes along one of the big gravel climbs down there. So it's a bit different and a uh, bit interesting. Also met a a friend of the podcast, um, Andy Vernon, who absolutely loves cycling podcasts. So I thought I'd give him a shout out. I'm, Saw him at the Dog and the Tucker Bucks um, on the way back up from Two of King Valley and Gundagai. So, you know. Um, Did you drive there? We do there? have fans. Did we you do have fans. So is, is, that's the guy. Yeah. It's that guy. Yeah. Right. He's okay. the guy who listens. Yeah. What, the only guy? I, I think so, yeah. That's Well, maybe we've got uh, less listeners than Jamie. That'd be a bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's transition um, to some of the stuff we're going to talk about, which obviously we'll, we'll start with the Vuelta. Well, the uh, Vuelta España is on, and if you've been living under a rock, uh, you won't uh, you won't have missed the fact that uh, it's actually a fantastic race. It's uh, been very eventful, and really, the Vuelta's kind of been like that for uh, for a very very long time. It's uh, it's like the Giro in that it frequently throws up some of the best racing you'll see all year. Uh, but with the Tour, the Tour de France is such a big race. It seems to you know these races tend to be sort of like second tier compared to the Tour, but really, if you're a bike racing fan, you definitely want to watch the Vuelta. Um, as it currently stands, overnight, Matthias Frank uh, won an incredibly difficult stage where the GC, GC guys kind of sat back and kind of watched each other and did absolutely nothing, which was kind of a shame because it was shaping up something impressive. Uh, if you're catching up, Nara Quintana leads the Vuelta, uh, followed by Fr- Chris Froome, at 3 minutes and 37 seconds, Esteban Johan, Esteban Chavez-Rubio is at 3.57, Alberto Contador at 4.02, Simon Yates at 6.03, then we have Andrew Talansky, Sammy Sanchez, David Formolo, uh, Michele Scarponi, and David uh, De La Cruz in number 10 at 8 minutes 52. So that's kind of the way the GC stat- stacks up right now, and really, it's... Uh, Quintana, Ru- Quintana Froome, uh, Chavez, and Contador from here on in, isn't it, Anthony? 
Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's one of those. The Welt is perhaps, yeah, the the best race that people will never see. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say, you know, up until Sunday, it it looked so close. It it could still be close, but you know, judging from this stage last night, I would probably say. You know, three minutes and thirty-seven seconds. So, really, Froome has to make that up in two stages. You know, in the time trial and then the the, the last mountain stage before the stage to Madrid. I mean, it's a massive ask for me. Quintana has to have a you know what they call in French a jour sans, like a, a terrible day. Uh, both. Both days, really, uh, for Froome to overcome. But, you know, Froome was doing what he does on the mountains uh, last night. He, he kind of rides at his own pace, which is much pilloried, you know, but that's just the way he rides. You know, I, I'm sort of starting to... I'd never dislike Froome, but I, I, I don't... I'm starting to like him more, I, I guess you could say. I'll come back to that point in a minute, actually. Um, your take so far on Vuelta, Jamie? Well, I think we've seen... I, th- I think in the last few stages um, before the rest day, we saw two of the most exciting days of racing in the entire year where Orica Greenedge made that move um, on the penultimate climb there, pushing Simon Yates into that break and then driving it as hard as they could. That w- that took real guts to do, and it and it worked out. I mean, it's great to see attacking moves work like that. And then very next day, Alberto Contador tries his luck um, over 100 k's out and the rest of the Movistar team go with him and we see exactly the same thing. Great thing to see there was Alberto Contador and Quintana trading off turns in that move and really trying to stretch it out and poor old Sky just got caught on the back foot and Froome was just looking left looking around for his teammates um, after that one. And then, uh, of course, the controversy with the... 70 men, should they have been eliminated? Should they not have? So It was it was upwards yeah. of 95, actually, wasn't it? I mean, uh, that, that was the other thing. It was like everybody was left looking for their teammates because their teammates were, I don't know, at a Hacienda somewhere or some having paella down the road. Um, they might have been. I mean, yeah. I heard the food on the Welter is not particularly good. It's not like food in Spain is bad in general, but it's just where they stay. You know, I heard... You, you just uh, on the grapevine that some of the hotels are pretty shocking. <laughs> is, is this where we make a contaminated meat joke about boars, boars meat or something? In yeah, studio? they need yeah. to find Bertie's butcher again mm. if he hasn't closed down. Good, high-quality meat. But on that, I mean, Alberto <laughs> Contador, how, how great is it to see him racing? I mean, we missed we missed him at the Tour de France. I think we all agree, agreed it got a bit stayed and um, stale towards um, the end of that end of that tour but you know he's the one creating the action there um in that move and you know him and Movistar um have really created some interest in this tour it's good to see um he's actually got a chance to 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 nail a podium place he's only six seconds behind Esteban Chavez so Chavez and Orca Green as you've really got to spend a bit of time watching him very closely well they've got to put more time into him before the time trial because Contador is a lot better than Chavez um against the clock and you'd have to, you'd say at least a minute you'd need on, I don't know, maybe about that. Because um, Chavez has got better at time trialling, but mm. on a flat one like it's going to be on stage 19, is it? It's um, it's going to be tough for Chavez to um, stay within a minute of Contador, I'd suggest. Yeah, I, I, I'm i sort of a, a bit um, not indifferent about these time trials towards the back end of the race, but you really never know. It's It's not really... So much you don't see often see the best time trials unless you're talking about Tony Martin, who pretty much 
saves himself or Cancellara, they save themselves, you know, they ride very conservatively for three, four days leading up to it. But when you're riding for GC, it's whatever you've got left in the tank. I mean, if you don't have anything left, then it doesn't matter how good, you know, if Froome is really... I don't know, at the end of his tether in terms of his energy reserves, then he'll lose three minutes. Uh, the riders are saying that this is the hardest race they've done in, in a long time. So we're looking at a lot of ragged riders, even the guys who are off the back. Yeah, well, I think that's to do with the Welter's idea of con- constructing a race profile. Um, they seem to go, okay, let's put a nice flat section in for the sprinters. And then somebody on the... On the um, race directorship panel just says well there's a nice climb around here let's just staple that onto the back two kilometers of the race and that's what they've done for i don't know at least three or four stages where it's looked perfectly flat going in and sprinters would have been perfectly happy and then there's just a a wall at the end of it where um where it just makes it that the gc riders or a break are going to win it's um so really it's even though we 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 go into this time trial which is going to be important for the gc i think probably the most important stage for gc that'll settle gc um we really we would normally expect that Froome will win that, but maybe not. The last mountain stage, you know, if he's to get that time back, just say he gets a minute and a half back, so then he's two minutes behind in going into the uh, the second to last stage, which is that mountain stage. You know, it's a 21-kilometre climb right at the end, so you'd have to say that... The platform is there there for him to do it, but then there's so many other interests. I mean, it's not just a matter of riding away from Quintana because he's shown no sign of weakness, really. It's 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 Sky and Star have, for me, they've come here with the best team. The only, perhaps, the guy who's, you know, looking a bit ragged out of that team is Valverde, uh, because he's he's ridden two Grand Tours already this year, and he's he's gone for he's kind of done a high GC in in both, and he's he said that he said he's he's tired. So it's, yeah, it's I remember him, so. even yeah. four days ago, a, a journalist asked him, and he go, "What's what's up?" And he goes, "I've got nothing." So <laughs> yeah, that's, and for him to say that, that that's what that was a week, you know, a yeah. week and a half still to race. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, I guess we really want to go back to uh, this idea, this this time cutoff business, because that's in this in this uh, past last phase of racing, that's been the biggest talking point is is the rules, the interpretation of the rules. Uh, should the riders have been disqualified? Uh, your thoughts, Jamie, on this. What do you think should have happened? Um, I understand the difficulties for the race organizers who don't want to eliminate essentially half the field. Um, from the competition because it really detracts from you know from the spectacle of the event and seeing the peloton negotiate your lovely countrysides which you spent a very long time picking out and and getting all the towns um, that pay money to um, host a stage end of the welter or a stage start so you, you don't want to be, t- be taking away from that spectacle at the same time um, it does compromise the sporting contest when you get ri- riders uh, rolling in I think it's 53 minutes down on that stage and yeah, and they're just saving themselves up for the next stage. And I saw a saw a statistic. I mean, it was a bit skewed because it was a sprinter stage the next stage, but um, the top twelve from that stage were part of that seventy uh, rider group that um, that um, finished over fifteen minutes behind. So, I mean, they were clearly saving themselves up for the next day, and they gained a sporting advantage from that. So, Here, here's yeah. the uh, here's the rule rule two six point zero three two. 
In exceptional cases only, unpredictable and a force majeure, the commissaire's panel may extend the finishing time limits after consultation with the organizer. In case riders out of the time limit are given a second chance by the president of the commissaire's panel, they shall have confiscated the equivalent points awarded to the winner of this same stage to their individual general classification by points, even if their points total in this classification becomes negative. Well, that gets... I think the first part is really what matters. And Larry Warbas uh, um, uh, was talking about the dynamics within, within that group. And apparently there's a lot of misunderstanding in that group about the rule exactly and that they were allowed to do this. They, they could actually, they, they had, he said they had, they, their interpretation was they had more time than they actually did. One of the things that was interesting to me was that Alberto Contador, after the race, said he compared his power meter readings with uh, one of his teammates and his teammate had done half the work in that, in that bunch. So his contention was everyone in that group was going to finish fresher than anyone else at the front of the group. Now, Larry Warbass is actually disputing that because he's saying this, the stages are so hard that you're still doing work. He said we probably could have gone harder, but the results wouldn't have changed. It would have been the same. It's just the time gap wouldn't have been different. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's where you want... Uh, commissaires have allowed large bunches who have fallen outside of the time limit back in... Time, more times than not i mean it's i can't i can't think of it an occasion in the last 20 years or whatever i've been watching bike racing where you've seen half the peloton eliminated but it would have set a really good example like no one they wouldn't have just if they had done that if they had enforced the rule no one, I, you, you wouldn't see this happening. Well, it doesn't even happen that frequently, but if, if they had done it, it would hap probably happen less frequently. Well, I think, I think from the fan perspective, you know, some, we, had, we saw this at the tour as well, where one of the stages at the tour was go slow. It went 30 minutes over time. So it's frustrating for everyone uh, when this happens, but the peloton seems to, you know, they just decide amongst themselves, well, this is what's going to happen today. Um, you know, I, I, my feeling is, is if we've now seen this in consecutive Grand Tours in a sense, and it seems to me there's been a shift in the peloton on, 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 on difficult days or in certain parts, points of the race where organizers will at some point have to say, Hey guys, you know, this is not going to happen anymore. Hmm. Yeah. You know, this day I, I saw Froome, he, he said he believes that that time cut should have been enforced. So if if that had again, you know, hypothetically, if that did happen, he would be without any teammates. But I don't think it really, you know, there was still a, at that stage there was still a week to go in the Vuelta. Uh, could he have coped without teammates? You know, I, I don't know. They they haven't done a um, a coup like if they plan on doing a coup like uh, Movistar and Tinkoff did last Sunday, yes, he couldn't do that without teammates. But if he's just going to ride and try and preserve his second place overall, perhaps he could have just followed wheels. Who who knows? Where I um, obviously don't need teammates for the TT. Uh, he's, he's not that incapable a bike rider that he just can't follow the other teams. We've seen many other teams follow Sky mm. as, as they dictate proceedings at the Tour de France. So why couldn't have it's not like Froome would have gone from second to tenth or fiftieth uh, if he didn't have any teammates. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, apart from anything, Movistar's tactics are going to be controlling the race with Quintana in first, 
and he can just follow their wheels um, until they control the, you know, they and they'll control any major threats on GC. So. Yeah, I mean, Sky, Sky haven't had, again, they haven't had the team to bully people around at the vault. This is effectively their B team. Yeah, yeah. And so, really, Froome's done a pretty damn good ride, you have to say. I mean, it was, uh, you know, forgetting, you know, just how good he was at, at the tour. I mean, re- really, the you know, the guy who... I guess it goes to show how the the form you, you can plan everything like Quintana did to be as good as he should have been at the tour, but he wasn't, and now he's he's great at the vault. I mean, the the, the question I've got about this team, the team Sky and Froome, you're saying you know Froome is really good at the tour, but then I'm looking at the Vuelta and I'm thinking, well, there's a difference in the team. So how many minutes is the team, the A team, worth to Froome, and really is he that good at the tour? Or is the team that good at the tour? I think he's the, he's still the one um, getting the time advantages by accelerate being the last guy on the climb, and he has to be better than his team. And that was a phenomenal team that we saw. We saw Valpools really do a great job, and a number of, number of other guys um, absolutely excel. So you have to be m- that much better than your team for the start for the starters. And I think he showed that he was that much better than anyone else in the race as well. Um, Quintana being that much better than he was at the tour, I'd, I'd throw that, that up in the air. I'm not sure he's actually better. Uh, he's probably comparatively better in terms of comparing him to Chris Froome. Um, and maybe some of that was not quite, in, not quite having the condition at the tour that he should have. Yeah, you could look at it like Froome is less, less than he was at the tour. That's why Quintana looks better. Maybe he's, he's roughly the same if you know what I mean mm. so and then also uh, Froome had no downtime as he said before the Volta started um, and that I think has caught you know Quintana was going to go ride the Olympics he decided not to and so he had a basically a month to recuperate as whereas you know Froome traveling to Rio and riding both the road race and the time trial I think that cost him if you if you take out Sunday stage. Clearly, his team has let has let him down. If take out Sunday stage, he he'd, he'd be the favourite to win the Walter. Now, this kind of leads on because we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about Froome and Quintana. Uh, one of the things that Quintana said uh, earlier uh, on one of the stages was that he would like to see no power meters, and that created a second controversy within within the Vuelta, uh, another major talking point about. Um, Froome's style of racing, which is very much dependent on technology, whereas you've got guys like Contador, you've got guys like uh, like Quintana who are more responsive, a little bit more emotive in terms of where they pick their spots to attack and, and when to go. Um, this is sort of a, a recurring theme in cycling, isn't it, where, you know, people just want to ban things. Yeah, well, let's not split hairs. Quintana does use power meters. We've seen him on the climbs of this welter, um, you know, using using his headset to, you know, look at whatever data he wants to um, on the on the major climbs. So I, maybe he doesn't like that and, um, and maybe he'd prefer it be more responsive and he, you know, regrets having to use technology, but he does use it and does utilise it and so does, you know, 100% of the pro peloton at the moment. And even... Even uh, amateurs get quite significant use out of power meters, mostly during training, but even during racing, it can be important, as we've been shown by Team Sky. So, is it a case of them just lagging behind in technology use? I'd say that's probably the case at the moment, and um, 
yeah, I think it's just people not quite getting the same benefit that they see another team getting, so they want to ban it. Yeah, uh, power meters, I, I don't know where to <laughs> start. I've never used one myself, but I was never that good. So uh, I, I think, you know, they're, they're free. It's it's not it's not on some banned list or whatever. They're, they're, they're free to race how, within the rules and then... That it's they're not you know Froome is not doing anything wrong. I mean, who who knows? We saw Quintana lo- looking down at his screen a lot, and he, was he just looking at how fast he was going? I don't think so. You know, on on that stage, he was having a go at Froome about. So, um, you know, I I don't think really it it makes that much difference. You know, Contador with or without a power meter, he's clearly as you said, Phil, he's more impulsive. Uh, but then that has cost him, and then this is a guy who's won all three Grand Tours. So, and then he's he's thirty three years old or whatever. He's he's got less to lose. But this reliance on this on technology, which is is increasing, this does change the racing somewhat. I mean, if you've got riders, you know, key riders, top riders, who within say one kilometer per hour or within half a percent of each other in terms of fitness and ability, etc. And this power meter technology then allows you to say, well, you know, there is a limit. There is a physiological limit. And if a rider does decide to attack, and we've seen this, where Sky sits up, Froome sits up and just rides tempo, as you say, riding, doing his own thing. And you've got other riders really trying to make the race, but Froome sits there knowing that that rider is not going to be able to sustain that. That does change the racing, and it means that you've got to, you've got to rely on a different tactical tool set than just the straight man-on-man, I'm-stronger-than-you kind of racing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit questioning of that because I wonder how much it actually does change Froome's style of racing in that sense because I think he is that grinding sort of climber who will occasionally throw that high vault, that high um, high cadence sort of attack that he does in, but very rarely, only when he wants to make a mental point more than anything. And it's, um, I'd, I'd say he does, he's just that sort of rider who says, okay, well, you can, you guys can do your own thing. I'm going to stick at my pace, which I know that I can maintain. If that's um, entirely off the numbers, I mean, sure, he does look down a lot, um, but I don't know if that's entirely off the numbers, that style of racing of his. Yeah, I remember reading an interview with uh, that, I think Velo News' Andy Hood did with Froome a couple of years back, and he... Froome said he actually looks down not so much at the power meter, but also to engage his. It, it seems to help him breathe better when he's climbing. Uh, I, I can't imagine, you know, that that nodding action that he has. I mean, he also does it on the flat. So I, I think he knows, you know, at at that level, I'd imagine an athlete knows his body so well that he would be pacing he yeah he'd use it in training and then as a result he'd probably know roughly what um wattage to go at even if he didn't have that those numbers in front of him uh okay so we're at the point now where we've got uh, just a few stages left in the race we've got some key stages to come uh you guys got any predictions uh, what do you think is going to happen in this uh, in this final final few stages uh, well, it'll be another no-name sprinter winning in Madrid. That's for certain. But we will see. Um, we will see the uh, Madrid version of the course. I think it's Madrid Challenge um, from memory, and uh, and so we'll get to see the women going around on the final final stage there. So that'll be 
fun as hopefully as much fun as the course was so i'm looking forward to that um and apart from that um the big time trial see how much time for can take if it's enough then it'll make that final stage interesting on gc if not then it'll be you know just good to see who wins from a, um, a purely racing perspective yeah i think it's uh I, I don't know it's it's hard to gauge isn't it the amount of i don't just outside of who's what's going to happen i mean how much interest is there in the vo- it's been a pretty long season especially with the olympics it's hard to keep i think you know i i don't look at website metrics or anything that's what you do feel but how much interest is there because like you said it's such a good race but is there that still that captive audience even for the aficionados um i hope they're they're watching this weekend because it could be another great weekend just as last weekend was uh uh what what do i think i think Tana's going to win i mean three three i don't think i don't see Froome looking or sky looking so ominous that they could reverse that but i'd love to be proven wrong uh your gc final well quintana Froome, and uh contador yours jamie yeah i don't see it being any different from that yeah i think we have a consensus on that (laughs) so you know what can i say now um enough of the vuelta yeah what else should we talk about? What would you like to talk about, Anthony? What's, uh, what's grinding you? Let's talk about doping. Okay. Let's, well, I did kind of write a blog on... We always do that. We always yeah, talk about doping. Yeah. By the way, I didn't go to, just to clarify, I didn't go to that Festival of Dangerous Ideas because that whole this whole notion of legalizing doping, I mean, technically... I mean, if if they're taking any type, if you, if you want to rule out all substances, they're they're doping already, aren't they? You know, by taking supplements, vitamins, whatever. So if you want to rule that out, you know, not if you want to talk about you know writing what they call pane aqua, you know, bread and water. None of them do do that. I I don't believe. But. Well, well, let's let's back the truck up a little bit mm-hmm. because. This is really, you know, we're starting to see this pop up a lot more. And of course, this was this was a topic at uh, FODI, Festival of Dangerous Ideas. And, you know, we've had so much fallout from the Olympics. I think that this is really what's galvanized so many people who are not involved in cycling, because obviously in cycling, we've known about this and we've talked about this for quite a long time. And for many years, every other sport in the world pointed at cycling, went, you're a bunch of dirty bastards and we're clean as anything. And now we know that basically every other sport, whether it's tiddlywinks or cockroach racing, they're doping like you wouldn't believe. So I think what's happening now is that you've got people's awareness is so high because of what happened with the Russians and, and the Olympics that they're now looking at it and just going, this, this topic is so, this thing is so big, doping is so huge, let's throw, throw our hands up in the air and let's just legalize the whole thing or at least control it in a way that, uh, that leaves medical professionals in charge and let's see how far we go with this. So that's what that's kind of like the starting point for all that, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know whether it's a starting point. It could be or the end ending yeah, ending right. point. Uh, I I'm uncomfortable with legalizing performance and use of performance enhancing substances because, uh, like I wrote in my blog, I don't think I actually. I mean, I remember even you saying, Phil, you felt that cycling is actually probably one of the most clean out of all the Olympic sports. And, you know, you've seen it in the USADA. Invest- if, if you read any of those affidavits, they say that 
things like the biopassport and the whereabouts, it sort of killed a lot of that. It certainly killed systematic doping and it also killed much of the performance because they're, they're tested um, frequently and, you know, especially when they're doing out-of-competition testing. That seems to what pings so, so many, including that guy, um, the paracyclist Michael Gallagher. I mean, he was pinged from a, an out-of-competition test. So uh, I think it's that there isn't doesn't seem to me much performance gains or that's what I, I understand anymore is, you know, it's, it's all about doing things like micro dosing now, whereas before it was really just whatever, you know, doing these crazy experiments and, on, on athletes. And, and of course, you know, a really cutting edge training, physiology, equipment, that sort of thing. That's also playing a part in cycling. Um, but it's just interesting to see, you know, to see this kind of shift in thinking that, you know, as soon as as soon as people have realized that the scope of the problem is bigger than just cycling, all of a sudden they're just like, well, hey, hang on, you know, we can't ban everyone. You know, meanwhile, they wanted to ban every bike rider from life, like we've done with Lance. You know, Lance isn't even allowed to ride down to the shops anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly um, there was a big witch hunt after Lance, wasn't it? And I think everyone felt a bit justified in going after the big name cyclist. But when it's a bit more widespread and it's, you know, rowers, runners, um, and other athletes. And Swimmers. Yes, and, um, you know, entire countries getting pulled up for this stuff now. Um, that Then we do have, then general public does have a different view on it. When it comes to legalising, I'm not in favour. Um, I believe it will just um, result in ever more um, extreme uses of, of drugs. And at the moment, it is microdosing, as Tani says, which is a hell of a lot less dangerous, pushing the envelope at that limit than it is um, pushing it at the upper end when there is massively, massively controlled doping. And even then, people will cheat and go over the top and say, oh, okay, well, I can push it that much further, and then that will lead to even more dangerous, um, like maybe a Tom Sim Ton Simpson episode where you know we get ride riders dying, dying on the road from overexerting themselves. So that's definitely not something I want to see in cycling. Yeah, we, we definitely don't get that sort of stuff anymore you know we were hearing i think you know in the 90s. the 90s when i was really into cycling you know every now and then you'd get a some 50 year old cyclist just you know kick the bucket <laughs> overnight for some bizarre reason so i i don't think we we don't we're seeing you know less of that and i think you know like you alluded to feel perhaps those performance gains, you get more out of technological advances rather than so much medical um, these days. You know, they're doing all these things with skin suits and power meters and things like that. I mean, I guess that leads to, you know, technological <laughs> doping. I, I, I sort of... Um, but with with medicinal stuff, though, I, I you know, for, for me, what's... There's no point in me following or encouraging anyone to follow it if it's just a case of, uh, you, you know, choose your product of choice and go, yeah, go, I, go I, bananas. The, the, look, the, the UCI and cycling, we know that we know this because we're in the sport. Um, you know, it, we've been on the forefront of all of the kinds of testing uh, innovations. Uh, cycling has been leading edge on this. I don't care what any other sport does personally, but I want to keep, I want cycling to continue doing what it's doing. Because we know they're going to be dopers. We know that there are guys out there that are going to push the envelope when they can, if they, if they see an opportunity. 
but for the most part now, I think uh, it's it's I care about what happens in our sport. And I think the UCI, uh, in conjunction with WADA and whoever else they have to work with, national associations, et cetera, are doing the right thing in terms of at least this regular testing and keeping a lid on it and, and really making the riders aware or the athletes aware that, you know, there's an educational process here as well and letting them know this is not something we want to ha- want you to do. So there's also a long-term cultural evolution going on in the sport or at, at, at pretty much at all levels where it's don't do this, maybe except for one guy who's paracycling. Mm. I mean, just imagine if you did have a Stephen Dank type of guy or a Fuentes being the sports scientist on every single team in the world tour. And just imagine for a moment that all the substances on the WADA World Anti-Doping Agency banned list were permitted. Can you imagine just how extreme and stupid that would be it would well, not you'd be end up you'd be going to um we'd be as journalists we'd be going for quotes to the team's pharmaceutical advisor wouldn't we and saying oh, okay what's yeah. the what's the one percent that gave that put you over the edge this time apart from anything Stephen Dank was really bad at his job he worked for the <laughs> sharks he worked for Essendon both of which were terrible during his <laughs> during his tenure there so I don't know why we're looking to him as you know the messiah of doping in these matters at the moment I suppose it's because the, he's the name people know and Australian and you know it's AFL and, yeah. and everything else yeah Look, it's um, anyway. That's that's it for us. I think we're we're done for today. Do you have any last words? Do you want to say something about the Olympics, Anthony? Did you watch the road races? I I did. Um, geez, Van Avema. Well, what I wanted to say, I think um, f- first up, it goes to show you can do all the recons you like. I mean, it shows you maybe recons are useless because you know the majority said. A, G- a Grand Tour type of rider would win. I, I was always saying, no, 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 like exercise a degree of caution. I don't, I, you just, you know, those types of races, you know, world championships, you know, everyone's saying a sprinter w- could win. What happens if wind blows a, a gale? And you've seen Tour of Qatar, not always a sprinter wins, like maybe a guy with a fast finish, but not a pure sprinter. So. And, and in the end, I think, you know, a really high-quality rider did win the Olympic road race as well, so for the men and the women. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I think we saw great racing in both, and then also there was that contention about the, the descent. I mean, really, uh, I think it was guys too pushing too hard, not so much. I think it was – got to give credit to the organisers. I think that was a great course. Yeah. Jamie? Yeah, I'm not so sure about the course. I mean, there was those nasty gutters on the side of the road, which um, we saw Annemiek van Vluten go into, and it looked awful. That crash. I mean, yeah, um, I'm glad. I'm glad most. Um, I'm glad most uh, outlets decided in the aftermath of that not to show not to show the clip. Um, I know some some of the. Do you like, agree with that? Did you? I don't know. Have you seen that crash? Phil? Yes, I saw the crash. And you, and you at the time, I thought that she might be, you know, incapacitated or possibly possibly worse. It was newsworthy. It was news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can, and you can't not show it. And do you blame the? Can you? you I don't think you can blame some, the cause, yeah. though. I mean, it's, no. It's well, the, at some at some point, it becomes like almost torture porn esque. Is my, is my point? There. At a certain and, point, but yeah. in terms in terms of the actual coverage, I mean, it's not something you can avoid. Yeah. Right. I, I don't understand that argument at all. No, no. Am I wrong here? No, no. I, I that's why I wrote a blog after <laughs> well, I, saying. I disagree, but that's that's why I said uh, don't don't um. Don't have a go. The course is—it's the riders who, if you push the, if you go down the, say, 
I don't know, out duets, you know, with this 21 hairpins too fast, you're going to fall off there and you're going to have people dying or you're falling off the, the Poggio going down San Remo. You'll get people, you know, going into a wall there. So it, if they want to push it, this is the, the result. Yeah. That's, that's just, just an argument that I just find baffling consistently. Now, just to, just to give you some context, uh, I was away on holiday while all this was going on and um, I did not watch any cycling just to be uh, to be honest with this so i've been doing a lot of catching up and i must say it's it's it was actually refreshing not actually following the sport and then coming back and then looking at it from in in a sense in a fresh way and you look at uh, you tend to look at the sport uh, a little bit differently until you become enmeshed in all of its uh, dramas once again uh, it was a good feeling actually sometimes just to be away from a lot of the uh, obsessions of uh, of the sport like power meters and doping and you, you do get caught crashing. up in a certain um, maelstrom of conventional media and um and that sort of outlook that um you tend to adopt as a as a mainstream media outlet i mean you do get caught up in in that and and it, i think a fresh look at outside that occasionally does help doesn't it i didn't miss the twitterati i gotta tell you that right now mm. so. no no it's 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 good to do you need to switch off your i i i can I can understand, you know, going off on some pseudo meditative retreat. Yeah, just sit in a lotus position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's close this uh, let's close this down. But before we go, don't forget to tune in uh, online tonight uh, to the site to the site uh, for stage eighteen of the Welta. Uh, we're streaming live online from eleven p.m. AEST, and then of course we're switching over. Uh, uh, to uh, SBS for if you want your TV, you want to watch it on a big screen or TV at 11.35. And that's going to be pretty well it from us. Adios, amigos.